Hello and a very warm welcome to the final podcast of 2011 and season's greetings to you all from everyone at The Lancet. In this final Lancet podcast of the year, we're going to read you a story. It's actually the Wackley Prize essay, the winning essay, which is published in our triple Christmas issue. It's a triple issue, something to do with the way the weekends fall in this calendar year of 2011 and also a way of giving us... uh, busy and overworked editors a bit of time off around the Christmas and New Year period. So without further ado, let's hear some absolutely marvellous and fascinating reflections by Jo Stutchbury. She is a medical student at Newcastle University in the United Kingdom and her Wackley Prize essay, which if you want to look for it in the print issue, is on page 2136 and 2137, is read by a fellow student colleague from Newcastle University, Laura Smith. And once again, season's greetings and a happy and prosperous 2012. Who's Meant to be Teaching Us? by Joe Stutchbury. Who's meant to be teaching you? The harassed registrar looks up expectantly from her bleep. We don't know, three of us chime at once. We know the drill. We've spoken these lines many times. It just says on our timetable, ward teaching. The smell of alcohol gel fills the air as we all move to one side in unison, still rubbing our hands together. The porter with his trolley looks back at us with amusement as he passes. If only we would just blend in a bit more. We stare blankly at the registrar. She stares back. Well, what do you want to do then? What do we want to do? We want to turn up for teaching to find an enthusiastic teacher who is expecting us to be there. We want to be taken round in small groups practising histories and examinations, seeing physical signs and symptoms whilst getting an insight into the patient's perspective. We want to be able to ask questions in an approachable and constructive setting and learn new things. We want no longer to feel that we are an inconvenience to everyone involved and that we have not wasted the £3.80 bus fare to get here and to go home soon if this is not possible. Her bleep goes off again. Maybe see some patients? I suggest meekly. We can hear somebody vomiting in the background. A wave of relief washes over the registrar. She's free from babysitting duty and can now see to the orderly queue of other doctors, nurses and patients forming behind us, wishing to speak to her. That can be arranged, she smiles, as she whips out her handover sheet. You, Parkinson's, bed nine. She gestures to one student. You, MS, bed seven. Another scuttles off. And you... This time it's me looking back at the MDU, Medical Defence Union, Penn. I wonder if she, like me, feigned interest in their stall once upon a time to stock up on pens. Probably not. Now this lady is an interesting one. Bed two. The others look on sympathetically, relieved not to have an interesting one. Well, at least by not having a diagnosis, my patient qualifies for a gender. Off I trot to bed two. MDU pen in one hand, notebook in the other. I'm hiding behind as many ID badges as I can find, my stethoscope resting round my neck. It's not required, of course. Just another piece of medical paraphernalia to justify my presence on the ward, mainly to myself. All the other patients in the bay stare as I enter. I try to look as though I know what I'm meant to be doing as I reach bed too. No, I'm not a doctor. Yes, a medical student. Third year. About half an hour? Then I'll leave you in peace. Thank you. I'll just get a chair. I pull the curtains around, an inadequate barrier between us and the groaning coming from the next bed. We can both pretend if we can't see the rest of the bay and they can't see us, then they won't be able to hear every word we say. Judith looks frail, years beyond her 56, and scared. She's happy to talk to me. The longer I chat to you, less time I have to dwell on just lying here, she says, 
before going on to tell me the short and shocking history of her rapidly progressing neurological symptoms. How, in a matter of weeks, she can no longer walk, wash, dress or feed herself. Usually on taking a history, I try and have a stab at a diagnosis. This is partly for the satisfaction gained from applying years of medical lectures to real-life situations. For the most part, however, it's because I know that afterwards all I will be asked about this consultation is the diagnosis, and I don't want to look stupid. Quickly encapsulating the horrible experience a patient is having into one neat medical word makes it easier to become detached. Diseases don't have family, pets and hobbies like people do. Equally, and perhaps more weirdly, it helps us to feel somewhat included in the medical world. I soon realise I am out of my depth, just like, as I later find out, everyone else. The conversation naturally becomes less of a medical history and more of a chat. Despite three years of medical training, this is still my natural territory. I go in to explore her feelings about the situation, the effect it was having on her mood, and the relationship with her husband. What sticks with me the most is hearing the how she is very frustrated with no longer being treated as a human being. She has been for countless scans and tests, only to find her symptoms worsening and still no diagnosis. She explains how not knowing was worse than she could have imagined, as there is no named disease, no thing to grapple with, try to understand and digest, or in fact, treat. She describes how she feels that the doctors see her more as a guinea pig or an interesting disease than a woman who would rather be anywhere else right now. It's not the first time as a medical student that I felt as though I'm not the right person to offer support. Yet, paradoxically, as a medical student, I am the only one who is. I'm the only one who has the time to sit here for so long and the only one whom she has not come to associate with numerous investigations and anxiety. I wish her all the best and say that I hope that they find out what it is soon. I leave feeling truly helpless and overwhelmed. Looking round for some of the other students to talk to, I realise they are long gone. I have been talking to Judith for an hour. A couple of days later, I pop back to do a quick neurological exam to complete my case presentation for later in the week. Judith smiles on seeing me, although becomes visibly deflated when I ask to examine her. She agrees, as long as I am quick, as she's very tired of being poked and prodded. I immediately regret asking. I become just another doctor, wanting to see her signs for myself. Unlike the doctors, as a student, all interactions with patients are predominantly for my benefit, not theirs. These occasions consequently require the confidence and conviction acquired from being safe in the knowledge that, in the long run, the inconvenience for this patient will benefit countless others after them. This self-assurance is something I still struggle with, and this occasion is no different. With a pang of shame, I do a token examination, thank her, perhaps too profusely, and make a swift exit. Four days on. We are sitting in a grand round. Two cases are presented, and to my surprise, Judith is one of them. The doctor presenting her case had videoed the neurological examination to show everyone else her signs. Judith looks even frailer and slightly bewildered, paraded on a large screen, while the doctor waffles on in jargon, managing to avoid using any plain English to talk about her. I wanted to stand up and tell everyone what I had learned about Judith, about how she's far more concerned about her husband, who was unable to work since he relied on her for transport, and the effect that the six-hour round trip to visit her was having on his health, rather than whether she has a positive Babinski sign or not. But I just sit there. I approach the doctor at the end, keen to hear what they think her diagnosis, and therefore prognosis is. He too is clutching an MDU pen. 
I soon realised that not revealing the diagnosis was not just to test the other doctors. It was because nobody knew. I'm shocked to hear they thought she would die soon. So why hasn't she been told? Why hasn't she been referred to the palliative care team? Why are you still doing so many scans, which are clearly causing her so much distress? With a condescending smile, he tells me that they couldn't give up investigations and refer her to palliative care until they were sure it was terminal. I wondered whether the doctors giving up on her might actually save her in many ways, in the hope they might shed some light on them. They predictably try to have a stab at the diagnosis. And that was it for my neurological teaching. I expected that to be the last I heard of Judith, since, as a student, I almost never find out the outcomes of the patients I meet. Four months later, the picture painted about one patient by a palliative care registrar becomes increasingly familiar. On talking to the doctor afterwards, I discover she was referring to Judith and told her about my brief involvement in her case. Although I knew she had probably died soon after I'd spoken to her, I still felt my stomach twist when the doctor confirmed this. She had been in hospital a week or so after I saw her, then was at home for 10 days. I was pleased she was at home when she had died and they never did get a diagnosis. Her and her husband had decided against a post-mortem, and I'm still left with the questions that have troubled me throughout. Is it possible to provide holistic care without becoming emotionally involved? As a student, I am not in a position to be instrumental to someone's care. Yet, as a student, many things are easier. I still have naivety on my side. I have time to chat to people, and for patients, I seem far enough detached from invasive investigations and medical jargon. Yet, I am able to engage with the doctors and patients about their experiences, results and prognoses. In a funny way, I did get what I wanted out of that original ward teaching session. I learnt more about medicine than I could have imagined on that April afternoon, and just by talking to someone, not about or at them, who's meant to be teaching you.